Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. But that shouldn't have happened. Emotions still raw after an unthinkable discovery near a BC residential school. And it's been really tough. A convoy for a couple killed by COVID-19 within hours of one another. Plus, trees are social and they need their, they need their communities. Hollywood is calling. A BC ecologist book is heading to the big screen. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. I'm Neetu Garcha. It has been a shocking revelation that has made headlines around the world. News that the remains of hundreds of children had been found buried on the grounds of a former Indian residential school in Kamloops. And there has been an emotional response from Indigenous communities traumatized by the country's shameful past of colonialism and genocide. First, a warning. Aspects of this story are difficult to hear and may be triggering for some of our viewers. Our Paul Johnson is in Kamloops loops with more of the fallout from this horrific development. Paul. Nita, there's going to be a community meeting here on Tuesday where we expect the First Nation is going to share more of what they know about this discovery with their members. Also looking forward, now the possibility that the RCMP and the BC Coroner Service are going to get involved here, assisting with the exhuming and the identification of any remains that are found here. Two people so far come up to me then told me about that. Spend a few minutes with Alphonse Adams and you get a sense of how the news from Kamloops is sinking in. He's a member of the Lytton First Nation and a residential school survivor. I just demented. For many white Canadians, the reason the news is shocking is because the discovery of a suspected mass gravesite is something usually associated with the former Yugoslavia or Khmer Rouge territory in Cambodia not Canada. Not overly surprising hearing. Because you keep, you live in a place like this and you kind of keep your ears open. But for First Nations and the people who know them well, the power to shock comes from the revisiting of horrors known too well. You're trying to get home and they wouldn't make it because the only time they could do it was kind of in the middle of winter. There's a child that dies for whatever reason. And uh, so these, these were all the same. Just put them kind of hid them away. On Saturday, the unofficial memorial site in front of the school continued to grow. And across BC, First Nations that saw their children forcibly taken here are having their own moments of recognition as well. Pointing out that Canada is far from done reconciling the history of residential schools, of those who died there, and those who lived. The people that did that? Yeah. Sometimes I cry there. I try to hide my um, anger. Everything else, I I don't like uh, crying in front of my children. 
they don't know exactly what I went through. So the Kamloops Residential School was run by the Catholic Church, and we've now heard from them, with the Archbishop in Vancouver telling us that he acknowledges what he calls the tragic history of the residential schools that they ran, and a promise from him to do whatever they can to help people heal. Neetu? Paul Johnson for us in Kamloops tonight. Thanks, Paul. Mary Ellen Terpel-Lafon, the director of the Indian Residential School History and Dialogue Center at UBC, is calling on the federal government to investigate mass graves at residential schools right across the country, similar to what was done in Rwanda and Kosovo. She points out that the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in 2008 was told of 50 deaths in Kamloops, and now more than 200 bodies have been discovered. This mass unmarked grave site is something that is now coming to national attention. And of course, it's not shocking to First Nations, but I think Canadians are perhaps finally recognizing just the enormity of the residential school system in terms of how it impacted and, and in many ways discarded the lives of children um, in a way that would never be tolerated for any other children. Homicide investigators are probing the deaths of two young women found less than a year apart along the same stretch of highway near Boston Bar. A passing motorist discovered the body of 19-year-old Melissa Elizabeth Steele on May 26 near Highway 1 between Hope and Yale. Foul play is suspected in her death. The integrated homicide investigation team says Steele was known to frequent downtown Vancouver and led a transient lifestyle. On June 3rd of last year, another driver found a woman's body lying on the side of Highway 1, about three kilometers east of the Yale Tunnel in Boston Bar. She was later identified as 29-year-old Alicia Hatterina Berg. Investigators say Berg also led a transient lifestyle in the Fraser Valley, and her death is also suspicious. And 37-year-old Adam Ball has been identified as the victim of a fatal shooting in Chilliwack this past Tuesday. Just after 1 a.m., homicide investigators say Ball was dropped off at the hospital with gunshot wounds. He did not survive. A home in the 8800 block of Broadway in Chilliwack has become the focus of the police investigation with officers gathering evidence. Police say there is no evidence linking Ball's homicide to the ongoing Lower Mainland gang conflict, and they're working to determine a motive. Well, it has been almost two weeks since RCMP began arresting protesters near Vancouver Island's Ferry Creek watershed. In April, B.C. Supreme Court granted an injunction to logging company Teal Jones in response to activists blocking access to a cut block near Port Renfrew. Well, tonight we're hearing from the company at the center of the old growth forest fight. Kristen Robinson has more. West of Lake Cowichan, loggers are taking a stand. I've had enough of listening to these people that are attacking our livelihood and the forest industry. Mark Ponting is referring to protesters who say the Ferry Creek watershed is the last pristine stand of ancient trees in the area. The fourth generation logger is part of an information roadblock set up by forestry workers. The forest is virtually untouched all the way down the coast. There's vast, vast amounts of trees and to, to try and project this image that there's only 1% old growth was is so farce. Since RCMP began enforcing the injunction at the Ferry Creek blockades, more than 130 people have been arrested in an attempt to prevent old growth logging. 
I just don't understand why they're still targeting us after the courts ruled that what they're doing is illegal. Teal Jones holds a valid and legal license to harvest timber in the disputed land. The company argues activists are putting hundreds of jobs at risk, cutting off fiber to its mills, and preventing it from accessing about $10 million worth of timber. We are pretty frustrated, you know, it's time to get back to work. We do everything the right way. We engage with the local First Nations. We log responsibly and moderately and uh, definitely well within the government regulations. The Pachitid First Nation approved cutting permits issued to Teal Jones and also negotiated an agreement with the province in 2017 to receive revenue from all timber cut on its land. Its leaders have repeatedly made it clear they support logging in their traditional territory and that, quote, they do not welcome or support unsolicited involvement or interference by others, including third-party activism. Still, activists, including this visiting member of another First Nation, are not going anywhere. So we don't see anything bad about them. But at the same time, we need to protect what we love, and that's the trees. If the whole First Nations community truly believed in what these environmentalists were standing for, they would all be there on the front lines with them. They're not. They've asked you to leave, leave. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Indigenous elders and their supporters have held a ceremony this afternoon to draw attention to the risks that pipelines pose to an endangered resource. About 50 people gathering in Coquitlam's Maquabeek Park near the Portman Bridge this afternoon. It's roughly the site where the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion will cross under the Fraser River. Protesters expressing their fear the new tunnel will increase the risk of an oil spill that would threaten salmon stalks, a sacred fish for First Nations along the Fraser. So we believe we have inherent responsibilities on this land to continue to have that harmony and balance that was intended for, not to have extractive resources come in and destroy the land and the water for future generations. Trans Mountain says a drill rig will be set up on one side to tunnel under the river. Crews will then pull pipe through. The company says lands on either side will be returned to their original state when the work is done. A rally has been held outside the Vancouver Park Board offices this afternoon to oppose limits placed on vehicles in Stanley Park. This is Stanley Park for all. The group representing seniors, the disabled and park businesses are upset that one of the vehicle lanes is being turned into a bike lane along Stanley Park Drive, a move they say limits access to many people. They say they're not against bikes, just against the lack of balanced consultation on the move. The idea that this is something that's being done to benefit mankind when in reality it's an elitist uh, motion with an elitist council and I'm sad to say many of my colleagues from Cope and, uh, and uh, some from Green are the leaders behind this stupid decision. The park board voted to have the extra bike lane in place until the end of October, similar to last summer.
A crash in Maple Ridge has sent two people to hospital in critical condition. BC Emergency Health Services confirms paramedics were called to Lougheed Highway and 262nd Street just after 10 p.m. An air ambulance was used to transport one of the patients. Their current condition is unknown and it's not clear what led up to the crash. That stretch was shut down for several hours overnight while crews investigated. The operators of a farm bistro in Pitt Meadows are in shock after someone made off with their outdoor seating. Eight picnic tables and eight umbrellas at Hopcott Farms were stolen Thursday night. That's impacting the number of people they're able to accommodate outside, which in turn is having an impact on their business. They've also had to order new furnishings, which are expensive. The farm says tents and bistro seating is still available, but it's encouraging visitors to bring along a lawn chair if they want to grab a bite. We don't want it to happen again, so we're going to be putting in some cement pads, bolting them down. So probably all said and done, we might be close to $10,000 to, to kind of re- replace, plus make sure it you know, doesn't happen again. A woman is facing hundreds of dollars in fines after a parking fail in Richmond. This is what the transit police enforcement team encountered Friday at Richmond Brighouse Station. While on patrol, officers saw a driver roll past the do not enter signs and cruise onto the sidewalk. Why? So she could use the ATM at the bank. Transit police say it turned into an expensive transaction with the convenience costing her four points on her license on top of some pretty hefty fines. Yikes. After the break, the stories behind the stats. I still hear my phone ring and I think it's them. The memorial truck rally honoring the lives of a BC couple claimed by COVID-19 within hours of one another. And we're focusing on women who are pregnant and postpartum. Virtual doctor's appointments could be here to stay. A look at the future of telemedicine next. With almost 1,700 people in B.C. taken by COVID-19, it's easy to forget that the daily death stats are about real people who had families and people who love them. Well, tonight, Julia Foy introduces us to a couple who lost their lives to COVID-19 just hours apart and the community that's shown its support for the family in a big way. The four Ross siblings teared up when they saw their dad's dump truck, all polished up and bearing a banner of remembrance for their parents, Gail and Meryl Ross. It still doesn't feel real uh, to me. I, you know, I was just saying to my brother, I, I still hear my phone ring and I think it's them. I'm sorry. It's been tough. The couple moved to Squamish in 1969 and Meryl began his career as a truck driver. When we were kids, when he was driving logging truck to Pemberton, we'd jump in for uh, for one of his three trips he'd do up there in a day. Gail was known as a super sports mom. Her and I were best friends. She never missed anything of mine. Like all my sporting events and stuff, she was always there cheering me on. But a few weeks ago, the close-knit family were shocked when both parents, 73 and 76 years old, came down with COVID-19. They would die just 17 hours apart on May 5th and 6th. If it wasn't for COVID, then they definitely would still be with us and be you know, celebrating the, all of the birthdays and Christmases and stuff that were coming ahead. And, and um, yeah, they're, we're going to miss them terribly. Excellent. Thanks for coming. That's when a fellow trucker stepped up to help. Merrill and Gales, this wasn't how their story was supposed to end. COVID wasn't supposed to do this to them. 
With no large funerals allowed due to COVID rules, Doak decided to organize a memorial convoy for the couple. So I saw Merrill just about every day. So this is, the turnout I'm seeing here is awesome. Love it. An estimated 80 rigs jammed a loading dock to join the parade and pay tribute to Merrill and Gail. That's a big show, that's for sure. <laughs> the convoy traveled down the main street of Squamish and many cheered it on. I am so proud of this town and for what they're doing for my mom and dad. In the end, the trucks came back to pay their final respects to the humble couple who meant so much to this little town. To see them come together like this is overwhelming and so beautiful. Julia Foy, Global News. Residents of the District of North Vancouver getting a lesson today on fire safety. Fire Smart is, uh, has heavy emphasis on the use of sprinklers in and around your property. You need to help yourself before help arrives. And that's what this program really reinforces, is that we are in an intermix environment. Uh, we don't have a fire station six blocks away. Um, it takes a couple minutes for our fire apparatuses to get here. And in the meantime, you need to be able to protect your property until our help arrives. Out Deadwood, just one of the tasks this afternoon for residents of the Sunshine Falls Woodlands area. It's part of a plan to reduce any fuel a wildfire could burn. Homes in the area are surrounded by forest and that increases the risk from wildfires. Firefighters putting a strong emphasis on sprinkler systems as a way for homeowners to protect their investments while they wait for help to arrive. All right, time for a short break, but coming up, healthcare data and digitization. This is an opportunity to improve access to evidence-based care. Are virtual medical appointments here to stay? How they could save billions of dollars. Plus. I am very concerned about people who are not vaccinated. Doctors warnings as millions of Americans gather on this Memorial Day weekend and how people are celebrating the return to travel. Tensions rose on the streets of Colombia on Friday as protesters and police traded tear gas and rocks in an anti-government protest. Demonstrators attacked an armored police vehicle using a water cannon and officers fired tear gas to disperse the angry crowd. Yesterday's demonstrations were part of a nationwide protest launched by unions four weeks ago in Colombia's main cities to demand a basic income, an end to police violence and opportunities for young people. A dramatic rescue in eastern Indonesia this morning after a ferry carrying 200 people went up in flames. Wow, passengers and crew were forced to jump into the sea, but amazingly, it's believed everyone survived. The ferry was headed for a port on a remote island and broke out 15 minutes after the vessel departed. Passengers clung to floating objects in the choppy water while they waited to be rescued as clouds of black smoke rose behind them in the distance. Well, by the end of the summer, every eligible Canadian will have access to a second dose of a COVID-19 vaccine. That update is coming from Federal Procurement Minister Anita Anand, who says Canada has confirmed shipments of 15 million more doses of COVID-19 vaccines from Pfizer, Moderna and AstraZeneca. Her announcement comes as the National Advisory Committee on Immunization recommends people be offered a second dose as soon as possible now that supplies are increasing. She adds priority for second doses should be given to those at the highest risk of getting seriously ill or dying from COVID-19. 
Ontario's health minister says Health Canada has approved an extension of the AstraZeneca vaccine's expiry date by one month. That will allow for potentially thousands of doses that were going to expire this Monday to be used until July 1st. Ontario had begun to offer the second dose of AstraZeneca at a 10-week interval for those who got their first dose between March 10th to March 19th. Following that, accelerated second doses will be offered at a 12-week interval. More than 50% of adults in the U.S. are now fully vaccinated against COVID-19, and that has millions of Americans traveling this holiday weekend to reunite with loved ones and friends. But health experts are still warning people to be careful, especially those who aren't vaccinated. They're still at risk of getting COVID-19. Jennifer Johnson has more. South Carolina's Myrtle Beach is packed as Americans welcome in the first unofficial weekend of summer. The American Automobile Association predicts close to 40 million Americans are traveling this Memorial Day weekend, a 60% increase from last year when COVID-19 had a stranglehold on much of the country. As more people get vaccinated, they're becoming more comfortable with the idea of travel, but there's still some travel hesitancy. Despite higher gas prices, highways are clogged and many airports are crowded. Americans are desperate to return to normal. It was a long time coming and it is about time. But doctors are warning people, especially those not immunized, to keep their distance and avoid large gatherings. I am very concerned about people who are not vaccinated, who think that because the rates are down, they're off the hook. They're wrong. They could very well get sick. They could very well end up in the hospital. They could die. U.S. airlines, which lost $35 billion in 2020, are celebrating the return to travel. 1.5 million passengers are expected to pass through Atlanta, the nation's busiest airport this weekend. The biggest crowd since December 2019. Restaurant owners are also predicting big business. It's going to be crazy. People have been dying to get out. Most states have lifted mask and social distancing requirements just in time for the holiday weekend desperate to welcome in patrons and tourists and their money. Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington. England's fast vaccine rollout and its long lockdown this year have helped to dramatically reduce COVID-19 infections. However, the country is now reporting its highest level of new cases in almost two months. Experts say that's partly due to the lifting of restrictions, but it also appears to be driven by the B1617.2 variant, which was first identified in India. It's believed to be more infectious. Britain's health secretary says the variant now accounts for up to three quarters of all new cases. The highest COVID-19 infection rates are currently among unvaccinated young people. Last week there was a week when 1% of Bolton's 10 to 14 year olds tested positive. I mean that's incredibly high. We know from Public Health England that attack rate, so the chance of you being affected if you're contact from someone with the Indian variant is over 50% higher than if it was a contact with the old Kent variant. England's final stage of reopening is set for June 21st when large public events resume. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson says that goal might have to be delayed if infections rise even further. 
Authorities in Vietnam have detected a new COVID-19 variant, which is a combination of the variants first detected in the UK and in India. The country's state media is reporting the virus spreads quickly by air and is being described as a hybrid. Vietnam's health minister says the genome data of the newly identified variant would be published soon as the country continues to grapple with a rise in infections since late April. When COVID-19 hit, it turned the world of healthcare on its head. Suddenly, phone call consultations and virtual visits became the norm. And experts say many changes are here to stay. As Global News health reporter Jamie Marocker explains, telemedicine could save the international medical industry billions of dollars. Just as COVID-19 began to creep into Canada, Dr. Daisy Singla launched a telemedicine-based therapy project. Right. We're focusing on women who are pregnant and postpartum with depressive and anxiety symptoms. And how would you say that makes you feel? Currently, the system is being accessed by more than 1,300 patients working with 40 providers across North America. Their ability to adapt to delivering this psychotherapy via telemedicine has been incredible. According to a new study by UK-based Juniper Research, teleconsultations are expected to more than double over the next four years to an estimated 765 million visits around the world in 2025. That trend could save the healthcare industry billions, with a virtual visit costing around $39 Canadian per patient, compared to over 110 for in-person meetings. For first-time parents Grace Poon and Jeff Britton, prenatal care during the pandemic doesn't allow for partners to be present. All the pressure was on her for all these in-person ones. Telemedicine, Poon says, has changed that and is excited to have a virtual option for when baby arrives. Moving around with a baby would actually be a lot more work. So if it can just be a checkup, I would actually prefer um, telehealth. But Poon cautions a phone call won't always cut it, a point shared by Humber River Emergency Room Chief Dr. Leon Rivlin. There are very important conditions like abdominal pain, chest pain, shortness of breath, where a physical examination is absolutely essential. Back at Mount Sinai, Dr. Singla says there are still plenty of benefits to telemedicine. This is an opportunity to improve access to evidence-based care. And with a retention rate of 90% for her program, she has little doubt this is the future of Canada's healthcare systems. Jamie Marocker, Global News, Toronto. And coming up next, an artist reveals his mural. <laughs> Why the message behind it garnered this reaction. That story is next. Believe BC, featured on Global News Hour at 6, celebrates the innovative minds working together to reignite business throughout our province. Believe BC in partnership with Pacific Blue Cross, flexible small business health benefits for challenges. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. That's one thing we can do to let them know that, like, hey, we are with you. 
A youth-led campout drawing attention and funds towards Indian farmers goes virtual six months into the historic protest. Details on that just ahead, but first, a Montreal artist has decided to step out of his comfort zone to help make a difference by tackling a subject he believes society needs to do more to confront. As Phil Carpenter reports, he's hoping, though the subject is delicate, that his project will help. This is a story about fighting racism. Oh, yeah. But it's also a bit more than that. I'm willing to help my friend that's struggling with that. Artist Patrick Bachon, Patman, decided to produce a mural depicting aspects of anti-black racism, partly to mark the anniversary of George Floyd's murder. We're having this issue and it's important to, to talk about it, even though it's, it's awkward to talk about. He admits that he needs help to understand racism since, as a white French-Canadian man, he can't always relate. I pick the brains of all my friends that teach me on these subjects. Bachon gathered a range of ideas and emotions that he tries to express on this 20-foot container left over from a mural competition he took part in. The company that hosted the contest gave the okay to use the extra container for the project. We thought that it was really an amazing, amazing thing to do and we wanted to be part of it. The container, along with the others, are all available for rent. You feel it? It's good? One of the people whose brain he picked was longtime friend Shelley Nurse, who is mixed race but identifies mostly as black. Patman asked her to help him paint the mural. The whole time we've been doing it, I've told him, all my problems and all a lot of injustices that were happening to me just because of the color of my skin. So I think he understands a little bit more. It's for people like her that Bachan is pouring his heart into this painting. Friends who've experienced racism. Bachan says all he's trying to do as an artist is help give voice to them. I just translate the feeling of all my friends and all the pain or all the joy they have into this work. He admits that he might get some of it wrong. He doesn't know what it's like, for example, to walk in nurse's shoes. For me, it's like I'm uncomfortable to help her, but I'm, I'm going to try. Since Patman began, the project has evolved to include a section about violence against women. But most of it is a series of small stories about racism with messages of hope. Still, the image that moves nurse the most oh. is this final tribute. Suddenly, all the emotions and experiences that her friend summed up in this one mural <laughs> came home to her. I'm sorry. It's okay. Patman says he wants to help create change. I, I can fix maybe some part of the society we're in, and maybe I can uh, shook up the people that needs to be shook up a bit. He hopes this story of friendship will help with that change. <laughs> Thank you, Pat. Phil Carpenter, Global News, Montreal. Beautiful sentiment and artwork as we bring in meteorologist Yvonne Schell for a look at the forecast, which is also pretty stunning. Yeah, it's spectacular though, Nithu. We've had a great start to the weekend, plenty of sunshine, it's summer-like, and it's going to continue into the long range. I'll have more on the numbers and the heat that we're anticipating over the next few days in just a moment. Beautiful shot. This is overlooking English Bay. We've got temperatures uh, sitting at 18 degrees with the westerly wind at 11 kilometers per hour. A few spots today getting hot. Kamloops up to 26 degrees. Areas away from the 
the water across metro Vancouver into the low 20s up to 22. Now overnight tonight we've got uh, dry conditions will dip down to 11 degrees through the day tomorrow. It'll be a partly cloudy sky. Highs ranging between 20 inland up to 24 degrees. Bit of a blip though across the province and that's along the northern half. We've got this frontal system that'll push in and it'll clip the northern tip of Vancouver Island. The rain develops overnight. We'll see it heavy at times through the day. The northern tip of the island and the western half could even see that chance for some showers but the heavier precipitation will be for areas near Port Hardy and a few showers possible into the central interior late in the day for tomorrow. Now here's a quick glance at the upper level chart as we put it into play. We've got a ridge that'll continue to build and with it temperatures are going to soar as we get in midweek onwards and then a bit of a drop as it weakens though and that'll be likely Thursday, Friday. A glance at some of the numbers and what we can anticipate so we'll be into the low 20s as we get in midweek onwards. That'll likely be the peak of it then a bit of a transition for our Wednesday and leading in towards Thursday for example in the central Okanagan for the interior though temperatures will get into the 30s so the heat is on as we get in towards next week that's a bit of a heads up now the northern half of the province will be looking at periods of rain on the cool side just up to 14 degrees a chance for some showers could pop up across the central interior but then areas towards the south of it will be seeing dry conditions across the Okanagan tomorrow even to the Thompson getting up to 28 degrees underneath a partly cloudy sky the winds will pick up could be gusty at times up to 40 kilometers per hour along the south coast it's really the northern half of the island rainfall the western edge for Tofino could see a chance for some showers range in temperatures tomorrow though away from the water up to 24 Monday Tuesday Nithu it warms up to 26 degrees and then we'll see that all the way in towards Wednesday potentially the chance for some showers moving on on Thursday but a great stretch of some sunshine and temperatures on the rise don't let go of that sunscreen all right thanks Yvonne a group of youth-led protesters are continuing to show solidarity with Indian farmers tonight with a sleep-out demonstration. About 100 people from across the Lower Mainland have been taking part in monthly overnight campouts outside the Indian Consulate and the Vancouver Art Gallery. This evening's virtual version is reaching supporters around the world with participants posting their sleep-outs in their yards on social media. Wednesday marked six months of the protests against three agricultural bills. Tens of thousands of farmers continue to camp along highways leading to the capital of Dili as the deadlock with the government continues. Internal optimism and like the high spirits that they're in, we, we want to, you know, continue to facilitate that here. And um, because I know that our farmers won't go back until the laws are repealed or we they like get justice. There was a lot of social media buzz. Um, when this first started, you know, we had that big moment where Rihanna retweeted about it. Um, so just keeping that same energy, I think, is the most important thing. Organizers say the aim is to raise awareness and funds for the nonprofit Sahitha's Farmers Support Project. And Yvonne, it looks like they'll be fine weather-wise tonight. Yeah, if you're camping out in your backyard, great weather tonight. It'll feel like summer. So <laughs> All right. Good. good timing. Good news. And it feels like summer in the sports world as well, Barry. Yeah, it feels like uh, Stanley Cup playoff time. And for the first time in almost 15 months, there are real live fans at an NHL rink in Canada at the Bell Centre in Montreal tonight for Game 6. So it's... It's like we've come out of a long hibernation, and it's great to see. So we'll uh, show you that. Leafs and Habs playing tonight, and uh, other Stanley Cup uh, playoffs, along with some golf as well. Looking forward to all of that. Thanks so much, Barry. And also coming up, how trees communicate. What I call mother trees. They are like the matriarchs of the forest. A BC scientist memoir is making its way to the big screen. 
Some breaking news now. North Shore rescue crews have been called out to rescue four people caught in an avalanche in the Cypress Mountain area. Sources telling Global News the victims were not buried. One was hurt, but their injuries were not connected to the slide. We'll bring you more on that developing story as soon as we get more details. Right now, though, a UBC professor is going Hollywood, so to speak, as a result of what she's learned about our forest. And as Amadagahi reports, it's timely in light of the ongoing protests against clear-cut logging in BC. It's not often that forestry professors become the subject of a Hollywood movie, but not often do they make such breakthrough discoveries either. What I've discovered is it's like there's an internet below ground. And with these, I've got, I know that there are all these fungal and microbial connections that connect trees together. And, and they transmit these, these resources back and forth, like messages through the internet. For more than a decade, Suzanne Samard has been a leading figure in helping understand the forests that surround us in British Columbia. They clean our water, they clean our air, they store our carbon. Um, without these forests, you, we can't even begin to meet our global commitments to the United Nations for biodiversity or for um, greenhouse gas emissions. Samard says her research shows that underground exists a complex communication system between trees and a community of other organisms in the forest. The big old trees, which by the way are what we go after when we're harvesting first, they're the ones that are most highly connected to all the other trees. And they redistribute like carbon and nitrogen and water among the other trees. Now her memoir, Finding the Mother Tree, detailing her life and research, is the subject of an upcoming film co-produced by Amy Adams and Jake Gyllenhaal. There were like six major production film companies and lots of interest, um, and it became like a bidding thing. And yeah, and so it went to, I basically interviewed like, like these incredible actresses and production teams, and I'm like, what am I doing here? But it was amazing. She's hoping her research can provide context for change to what she believes is an outdated practice of forest harvesting in B.C. Amadagahi, Global News. Coming up, regaining your game. It's really just about exploring self-expression, and there's actually a lot of healing in that. How the loss of a corporate career led to another focused on playtime for adults. Stay with us. Celebrate Canada together. Global BC is proud to partner with Canada Day at Canada Place to bring you a special broadcast airing July 1st at 11 a.m. Show us your Canadian spirit by sending us a photo or short video for your chance to have it featured in the special. From May 28th through June 6th, help the North Shore Crisis Services Society during their Gala of Grace online auction. Proceeds go to supporting women and children who need our help as they flee domestic abuse situations. Galaofgrace.ca for info. Our BC is brought to you in part by Canada Day at Canada Place. Submit a photo showing your Canadian spirit to be featured. Celebrate Canada together with Global BC. Welcome back. We're tracking, tracking some developing news. A high-rise building fire at Pendrel and Guilford in Vancouver's West End. Possible injuries involved here. We're tracking the latest de developments and we'll bring you more as soon as we get it. But right now, let's shift gears and bring back Barry DeLay for a look at sports. Barry. All right. Thanks, Neethu. We have seen fans at Stanley Cup playoff games in the U.S. for the first round. And not just a few fans, but packed houses. Now, for the first time, fans have been allowed to attend a game in Canada. Tonight, Habs and Leafs 
students from Montreal. Just a few thousand were allowed into the Bell Centre, but what a boost that could be for the Canadians who have to win tonight to force a Game 7. 2,500 fans allowed in, pairs of tickets on the secondary market going for 10,000, but that reaction for the Habs coming onto the ice, priceless. It feels like we've all emerged from a long hibernation. It's great to see and you can feel the energy. As you might expect, Habs were jacked up. They owned the play early, but couldn't solve Jack Campbell, Nick Suzuki. The Game 5 overtime hero stopped there. Habs had 11 shots in the first 10 minutes, but still scoreless at the other end. Carey Price flashing the pad save off Nick Foligno, scoreless after one. No goals in the second either, but in the third, the Habs finally breakthrough as uh, Corey Perry from a scramble on the power play. Now, the Leafs did challenge this for goalie interference, but the goal stood, and Tyler Toffoli has just added another power play goal. 2-0 Habs now in the third. Full house, meanwhile, in Boston as the Islanders and Bruins, the first of the second round series to get underway. Boston took out Washington. The Isles dispatched the Penguins in their opening series. First period, Isles power play. Noah Dobson point shot tipped in by Anthony Beauvillier. So the Isles get the icebreaker. They lead 1-0. But in the final minute of the period on a power play, Bruins tie it. David Pasternak waits and then snipes a bullet to the top corner. He's scored again in the second. It's 2-2 Bruins and Isles in the second period. Champions League final all-English affair between Man City and Chelsea from Porto, Portugal. Late first half, Chelsea draw first blood. Long ball into Kai Havertz. Dances around City's aggressive goalkeeper Ederson. Fantastic poise from the German Havertz. And Chelsea take a 1-0 lead into the break. Now, not much going offensively for Man City, who were stifled by Chelsea's organized approach all day long. This was their best opportunity, but Foden's attempt is well blocked again as Chelsea just dug in after that first half goal. That was it. Chelsea win the UEFA Champions League 1-0 the final over Man City. It's the second Champions League title for Chelsea. They also won back in 2012. Now the focus is on Euro 2020, which of course got pushed back to 2021. That begins in under two weeks on June 11th. The Whitecaps don't return to action until June 19th, three weeks from today. There's the international break in there combined with a bye week, so it's a chance for the club to rest and reevaluate, work on some things. They are two wins, four losses, one draw. They've had three straight defeats, so a lot of room for improvement, but also a chance to get the entire roster together to get some traction going forward. I'd never had the whole team together uh, until one week before the start of the season. A lot of players had to come in late because of immigration issues, also because of, of this special situation that we had to relocate. We, we said that from the very first beginning. We said that at the end of the season, we want to develop things, we want to improve things. And, and the, uh, uh, four weeks of break is, is like a full new preseason, and we want to use this time to, to be ready to, to compete on the highest level and, and to get all the points we, we want to get. At the, want to and we need to go to the playoffs at the end. MLS today, the misery continued for Toronto FC looking for just its second win of the season at the Columbus Crew, but the crew jumped out quickly already up 1-0. Giasi Zardes will 
timed the bullet cross perfectly. It's 2-0 at the half. Toronto gets one back. Richie Larea stopped. Ayo Akinola picks up the rebound and then fires home with the left boot. But TFC lose again. They're just one win, four losses, two draws. They're 12th in the East. And their star player, Josie Altidore, is feuding with the coach. Did not even dress for today's match. Senior PGA Championship from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Canadian Mike Weir with a four-shot lead entering the day. And on the third, Weir with the nice approach, playing his best golf in many years. He had so many injuries for the past decade. Finally healthy and playing well, spins it to two feet, made the birdie, got to eight under. But then things went sideways on the back nine on 13, slides by the bogey putt. It's a double, so his lead is gone. Now tied at minus six with Steve Stricker to the 16th. Stricker now leading by one. When this happens, from the bunker, the U.S. Ryder Cup captain splashes it out into the hole for birdie, takes the lead at six under. Weir for par at 16, misses. He was five over in a five-hole stretch on the back. He's now third at three under, but he's just three off the lead, held by Stricker at the senior PGA Championship. PGA Tour is at Colonial Country Club in Fort Worth, Texas, hometown of Jordan Spieth. Spieth began the day with a one-shot lead, but Jason Kokrak with the birdie at 17. Ties Spieth at 14 under, but on 18, Spieth with the ball buried deep in the rough. This is a fantastic shot. Carves it out of there. And I think he would have been happy with just getting it on the green, but he does much better than that. Gets it to about eight feet. Big time. No one plays Colonial better than uh, Jordan Spieth. And then he will knock in the birdie putt at 18 to regain the lead. So he is at 15 under, one up on Kokrak. Abbotsford's Adam Hadwin is tied ninth at minus six. Nick Taylor is tied 24th at two under. The French Open starts tomorrow in Paris. Four Canadians are in the singles draw. Felix Auger-Aliassim and Milos Raonic on the men's side. Bianca Andreescu and Leila Annie Fernandez on the women's. Fernandez is the only one scheduled to see action tomorrow. The other three open on Monday. Andreescu is seated sixth. Raonic is seated 17th. Auger-Aliassim 20th. Denis Shapovalov had to pull out last week with a shoulder injury. But it's always fun at Roland Garros, and uh, the Canadians have a shot uh, underneath you to do some damage, so we'll keep an eye on that. We will indeed. All right, thanks so much, Barry. And coming up, why playtime for adults can be critical for creativity and how one woman has made a career out of it. Stay with us. Does a sense of play and joy only exist for children? Is there room for play in the lives of busy, stressed-out adults? I think so. Well, Mike Arcido spoke to the founder of The Playful Warrior about why adults should turn to play if they need a creative spark. 14 months into the pandemic, are you feeling a lack of creativity and just a general sense of malaise in your life? Is the answer adult play? reconnecting with our inherent playfulness and creativity so it's really just connecting with the present moment connecting with spontaneity and it's not actually about an outcome it's not about winning or losing it's really just about exploring self-expression and there's actually a lot of healing in that Kara Latta is the founder of the playful warrior a company she created after losing her corporate job at the beginning of the pandemic she noticed that many of her colleagues seemed miserable and had lost their sense of fun Play really helps with our mental health, our physical health, our overall well-being. Also brings us more joy, more creativity. It brings more intimacy in our relationships as well. Adults being told they need to play more may raise a skeptical eyebrow. But Kara says periods of play can help you at work. 
it's so much more than fun. If you want to be more creative, more adaptable, have problem solving skills, you need to play more. When we play, actually, one of my favorite parts is that unconsciously new solutions will come up as well. You know, like you get your best ideas when you're on a walk or when you're in the shower. We've been trying to have some fun, but we can't figure out where we are in our boxes here. We can't figure out what's happening. We're going to do a nice little wave for you all, but hey, we had fun in the process of trying to figure it out. So that's the point of the story there, isn't it? <laughs> and that is all the time we have for you tonight, but we wish you a fun evening and the rest of the weekend. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Jordan will be here at 11. Thanks, everybody. So are you? We're waving. <laughs> that kind of wave.